What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about publishing, but from a little bit different of an angle. We're talking about small batch publishing, not using crowdfunding, not pitching to publishers, not going even directly to retail, but what does it look like to run a pre-order campaign through a website, through your own personal domain, as opposed to Kickstarter or GameFound or BackerKit or any of those others, and just doing small batches, just doing 100 copies, 200 copies, and building up a, a small community kind of from the ground up, grassroots, and then going from there. What are the pros? What are the cons? How do you do that effectively? And does it make sense even? And Because I feel like it does make sense. I feel like it makes sense for a lot of people getting into the hobby that want to have control. They want to handle the art and the art direction. They want to find the freelancers. They want to do all the ins and outs. But at the same time, they don't have the time or have the money to do a big crowdfunding campaign. They, they also, they just want to learn. I feel like there's a lot of people that listen to the show and are in the Board Game Design Lab community that would benefit from starting small, starting kind of from that grassroots level and then going from there as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm going to go run a million dollar campaign or six figure campaign. Start small, make small mistakes on a smaller scale. There are a lot of pros, a lot of cons to doing this. And I'm talking to Joe Bragg, from Meek Heroes Gaming, and he's been doing this for a little while now, and we just chat about all the ins and outs, all the pros and cons, the different angles of doing these small batch games. In other news, today's episode is sponsored by GameFound, the go-to platform for tabletop creators and fans. Want to launch a campaign? GameFound has everything you need from marketing services, a dedicated audience, and a built-in pledge manager. With its unique features, GameFound offers the best service for tabletop crowdfunding and can help make your campaign a success. So be sure to check them out at GameFound.com today. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Joe Bragg. So, Joe, this is a really interesting angle as far as publishing, as far as designing, because it's a little bit off the, the typical beaten path, you might say, where you're not going out and pitching to publishers. You're not going to crowdfunding. You're not, you know, print on demand. Like, it's kind of this interesting hybrid of a lot of different things where you're doing these smaller print runs. You know, normal print run is at least a thousand, typically two thousand or more to be able to get the nice volume discounts and whatnot for a print run. But you're not going that direction. You're, you're doing just a few hundred copies, you know, 200 copies, things like that. Why? What was kind of the inspiration? Like what made you want to go that route versus what a lot of people do as far as start a company, do a Kickstarter, try to raise some money, you know, print a bunch of copies in China, you know, send them around the world or reach out to publishers and then they do the exact same process, right? But you're doing something different. Why? Uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious because whenever I say what I'm doing, most people say that they're like, well, why would you do that? Right. You can do this and go that way and do all this other stuff. And, and in all honesty, here's, here's the reality. When I felt very led to get into game design, I 
didn't know anything about it, right? Like I, I was completely new to the space of designing games and I knew that there's so much to learn, but I also know that I'm a doer, right? Like I, I love to just, I learn best when I'm doing something, right? So when I'm putting these things into practice and I'm starting to apply them, I start to learn and I start to just soak this stuff in. And I realized that, Hey, I really think I need to design design this game. I had an idea. I had pitched it to some friends. They were like, let's let's get on it. I said, but here is the deal. Like I'm a full-time husband, full-time father. You know, I have a full-time job. I was full-time at school at that time, right? And I'm like, now I have this game idea. Let's let's go do that. What I knew in that moment was I couldn't add full-time Kickstarter campaign guy to the list. I couldn't add um, all those things that come with that, right? So for me... I had to really focus on what what can I do, right? I'm feeling very called to create this game. Um, I'm a learner, so what can I do? So I dove into the community. I came across your podcast and your Facebook community. I started reaching out to other um, game designers through different connections that people had. They're like, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. And And I would uh, create a Zoom call, and I would just start learning and start saturating myself in uh, as much as I could to learn about the the game, you know, board game industry and design itself, man. Because this was, I come out of music, so there's some overlap, but this is a beast. Uh, designing a game is, is huge. And so I started really looking at it like, okay, I know I learn best by doing. I know that I have a lot to learn. So why don't I take my idea and just start moving forward? Just start learning. Just start taking steps. Knowing that I'm like, hey... We can do this in a small batch, do more on-demand printing or smaller print runs where we can get this game out there, start to develop a community, start to uh, continue to learn and grow um, so that now we have a community, uh, albeit small, right, um, that is talking about our game. Can we do that? And initially it was like, okay, I wanted to see if we could get 100 copies of Meek Hero's Victory into the world and generate a community with that. And that was my goal. Can I get a hundred copies? Which uh, then was like, okay, how do we get the word out to get those hundred copies to people's tables, right? Well, again, I doing all those other things that I have, I wasn't able to um, sit down and run these massive campaigns, right? I knew that. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. So I started using word of mouth. I started tapping into my friends. I started tapping into game communities. I started taking pictures of prototypes. I started just generating a little bit of buzz. And when we ran our pre-order campaign, we ended up with around 70 or so um, that were on board with that. And I was like, cool, I actually had some capital. So I was like, I can now you know, purchase the remaining amounts. And then from there, things started to kind of generate more. We start realizing, hey, there's a little bit of buzz around this game. And we were able to move and order another smaller print run to start uh, selling, selling those. Right. And, um, man, there's so much to this conversation, but for me, the why really became, I know I want to create this game. I know I don't have all the resources and I certainly have a ton to learn. So let's get at it. Let's learn. Let's tackle. Um, I, I really like to focus on what I do have, not what I don't. And I know about myself that, man, if I set my, set my sights on it and say, Hey, we're going to do this, that, uh, good things can come from that. And I yeah, think this absolutely. is the result of it. Right. And, you know, if you look at it from the angle of beginning with the end in mind, yeah, right. You, you were doing some really cool things foundationally. I talked to so many new designers, especially people just getting into the hobby in general that really just don't know what they don't know. Right. And a lot of times they see these million dollar campaigns 
on Kickstarter and they think, oh, that could be me. And then they kind of set this expectation of, oh, I'm going to have a game and it's going to have, you know, 10,000 backers and I'm going to make all this money and it's going to be great. When they don't understand that it took 10 years for that campaign to actually be able to hit that point, right? They didn't see the, all the failures. They didn't see all the community building, all the marketing, all the behind the scenes stuff that you just don't even know. You know, I've seen campaigns where you're like, wow, how did this, how did this happen? And you're like, well, you know, that guy, he has a very rich dad and that dad pumped in a whole bunch of money, <laughs> right? right <laughs> you know, right. little things, right? Sure. If you don't have access yeah. to that, it's going to be a little different. And yeah. so what you did was kind of beginning with the end in mind of a very just realistic expectation of, I want to do a hundred copies. Okay. Now that that's doable right now. I don't think you necessarily have to come in and just sell yourself short. Like, Oh, I'm only, like, no, you weren't thinking, Oh, I'm going to set the bar low. You were, you were setting the bar at, I want to learn. I want to figure this stuff out. I want to grow and I want to build it up to, you know, doing more copies down the road, which is what I assume. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. And also when you make a mistake, it's a much cheaper mistake, right? <laughs> yes. It's a much shallower hole to fall yeah. in yeah. versus, you know, doing a big campaign. And now you've got all this worldwide shipping and logistics and all the, all the stuff that goes with that. And, you know, you made a dollar mistake and now you're multiplying it by all these other ex- exponents, you know, like all these other things that are happening and it gets expensive versus kind of controlling things in, in-house and, you know, eventually down the road, you know, maybe things do blow up. Your community gets bigger. You have a expansion come out or a follow-up or, a, you know, second edition or whatever, and then you can do something bigger. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. Tell me, okay, how many, you said you printed a hundred copies the first time. And then, so you've printed like a couple hundred copies at this point. Where, where do you print those? Like, tell me about the kind of the manufacturing process. Yeah. So the manufacturing is crazy, right? So, I mean, you know this, I've listened to a hundred of your podcasts and people are talking about manufacturing and there's so much to consider. And and I'm going to say something that might shock your audience. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Maybe people will be like, Hey, that makes sense. Is, is we actually went through the game crafter and I'm going to tell you why. All right. So when I got my initial prototype, one, it was super expensive. And I was like, oh my goodness, there is no way I can actually get this game to market, right? Like my first prototype was like $90. And I'm like, okay, you scale that. Like I'm not, this, there's no way. Like my game was not a $60 game. You know, that's just not where it's at. I'm not scaling this. It's not working. But this manufacturing actually drove that tons of creativity. I'll talk about that in a second. But we chose to go with the Game Crafter 1 When I got the prototype back, I was actually blown away by the quality. So everyone had kind of told me like, oh, the Game Crafter, that's just where you get your prototype, but you're going to want to seek manufacturing elsewhere. But I'm like, well, wait, if we're just small batch publishing to begin with, Game Crafter seems like a really viable option. One, their quality is super high. Uh, I don't love the wait times, not my favorite part about it, but the quality is, is, is really much higher than I anticipated, right? Because I was just thinking prototype. So when I got it, I was pleasantly surprised. Two, I was like, okay, I like the fact that they're in Wisconsin, right? Like I'm in Michigan, like this is U.S. I know they probably do some outsourcing, but I really wanted to support uh, U.S. in that regard, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint. But there was something I could work with. It was very user-friendly. The platform allowed me to make changes uh, really interchangeably and on the fly. And I really loved that and actually really spoke to me where I wasn't having to do all these emails back and forth with the manufacturer and all of this is off and that's off. It was literally like, okay, here are my files. Here are my overlays. I have everything there. I had a lot more control uh, through Game Crafter. And again, knowing our goal was let's get 100 copies out um, that, yes, 
basically I, I understood like, yeah, there's probably cheaper options and there's different ways to go, but I really did enjoy the quality and felt like, Hey, if I'm going to do a first game, I don't think if anyone didn't know, and I didn't tell them that this came from the game crafter, uh, most people don't know that they're like, wow, when they play the game, they're like, the quality in this game is actually really solid. The components are nice. Everything's really, really quality. And it's like, yeah. And then when they ask me and I say it's from the game crafter, they're like, Oh, Right. If they're not a board gamer, they don't know anyway. But uh, like I was saying, the manufacturing really drove a lot of this creativity, which I think is actually essential in this learning process. Because when I got that first prototype, I'm not, I mean, all right, I'm a grown man, but I cried a little, bro. I was like, this is 90 bucks for a prototype. How on earth am I going to get this out there? Like, nah. And I remember calling a friend and just being like, bro, I don't even know what to do. And he just told me, he said, Joe, you're far too creative not to figure it out. And I was like, okay, that's really encouraging, but now I got to figure it out. And this drove, you know, drove me and, and my friends and the team to the table, right? And, and we started realizing like, hey, we have to cut some of these cards out, right? In order to um, reduce the card counts, but that changed some of the mechanics of the game. So then we had to find creative ways to kind of replace those mechanics, right? Because they were a vital part of the game. Uh, I used to have event cards in my game and the event cards, you know, they, they did things and they were kind of a good equalizer for, for that. Well, now those are gone because we had to remove that just to get these card count way down. Well, what's going to replace that balance, Right now, what's the equalizer? Now, what's going to keep this really competitive to the end, so that people actually are able to, you know, move in sequence? And and so that changed the dynamic. And then it was like, okay, now we have to, um, you know, remove this fifth player. We wanted the game to be two to five players, but man, if we keep this fifth player again, even in manufacturing, this is still this is still too high for us. So this got us thinking. We've removed some of these cards. We've changed some of these mechanics. We've removed this fifth player. Fifth player. Now we're looking into expansions, right? Like this, this great idea doesn't have to just go away. We can use this later. We can have, we have room for expansions. I originally wanted to create a co-op, ended up with a competitive because cooperative games are extremely hard. And it was my first design, right? And I'm like, wow, this is intense. I uh, couldn't land the plane, but found this really awesome competitive. So my thought was release the competitive take some of these other ideas, save them for the cooperative expansion and begin that work on a cooperative expansion, which will see the whole thing to, to fruition. Right. But not only did it change our card type and our card uh, counts and all these things, we also literally changed the layout of the game. And this allowed us to remove some of the pieces and some of the dynamics. And it just kept us, kept us digging into uh, this creative process. And, and I loved it. Like I started telling people like manufacturing was the greatest thing that happened to my game. And people were like, I don't get it. And I'm like, well, once I realized like how this worked and understanding manufacturing costs to some degree and starting to be able to really rip this apart, it drove this creativity. And, and I loved it because I'm like, Hey, this, this card sheets 18, right? There's 18 cards on this sheet. How are we going to maximize these 18 cards, right? How are we going to maximize all the sheets we're using so that every single sheet is filled, right? And and now how are we looking at this and that? And, and, and I loved it because, again, it was a puzzle. It was almost like a game within the game. And, and I, it just helped me drive things into a very manageable space, which, which created a, uh, I think, better experience, right? I think it created a, a really great experience for the player. Um, and... Um, allowed a lot of room for growth, you know, down the line, which I really liked. And and some of it too, and we talked about Kickstarter briefly, and this is not a knock towards anyone, man, because I love big old games. I'm fine with that. But I think sometimes when we look at Kickstarter, it's like, 
bam, I'm going to create all this stuff. And there's no real filter to say, dial it down, right? Like there's no, like, you're not really, you might be looking at manufacturing costs. I mean, I hope, I hope you are, but, but still it's like, I can create this much bigger game because I'm going to kickstart it and people are going to, you know, pay a hundred dollars for this game because I've got all these cool components and I'm not against that at all. It's just, to me, I started thinking like, wow, like if you were actually going to a publisher and you're pitching your game, are you considering manufacturing? Are you looking at, um, you know, whether or not this is sustainable in the long run, right? Or are you just going to get one print run out of this, but then in the future you have to run more and more Kickstarter campaigns because you've got this massive game. How are you going to reprint it? What are you looking at? How is this working? So many questions, things that I won't even pretend to know. And there's people that are far smarter uh, in this uh, genre and space than I am. But I feel like the manufacturing was such a vital piece to this, which drove my creativity. But even, even if I was going the Kickstarter route, or even if I was getting into larger print runs, I would want to make sure that this was an integral piece to my design because I really feel like it does push you. Right. And then, um, you know, before this interview, you mentioned button shy and I love what they've done and how they can just take 18 cards and make this like, you know, phenomenal game. Right. And that to me challenges me. Well, what would I do with 18 cards and how could I do this and how do I create this stuff? Um, and I also learned something else out of this. I might have done I have another game called Remix Rewired coming out in December and I might have flipped it with victory. I might have led small because it's just a it's a 108 card game. Right. It's a smaller card game. It's a take that style game versus victory, which has a lot more components and a lot more things. I might have flipped those and led with the smaller game, um, then, then maybe, maybe with victory, I'm, I'm glad it went the way it did now, but I may have flipped it because, um, one in full transparency, obviously doing a small batch, you're not, you're not in this for financial gain, right? I am not making anything as a matter of fact, because I'm, I'm using, uh, I'll explain this in a second. As a matter of fact, when I do a print run and I sell victory, I actually lose a little bit of money right? Due to some of the fees and those kind of things. And some might think that's crazy, but I'm viewing it as almost like my marketing budget, right? Like, okay, I'm still getting this game out, but I am, I am taking a small hit, not a huge hit, but I'm taking a little bit of a hit. And that's kind of my marketing. Cause now this game's at the table, people are playing it with their friends. They're talking about it. We're building and generating that community, which hopefully will lead to some larger print runs, which will then drive down that margin. And, and if we're getting into much larger and there's more of a demand for the game, we would consider obviously looking at another another, um, you know, another manufacturing company, another, another way uh, to go about that. But man, there's so much uh, to this conversation in, in the manufacturing aspect. Well, and let's get into more of it in, in just a minute. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in that last segment you just talked about. Let me break some of these things down. So one thing is necessity is one of the most amazing and powerful things when it comes to creativity, right? When you have a certain box, in this case, a literal box to live in, right? It makes you get more creative in your problem solving when you're, in your case, trying to keep a, the manufacturing cost under a certain level or, you know, maybe certain components like the Game Crafter is wonderful for a lot of stuff, but certain components are very expensive compared to maybe the value that you get perception wise from, for the game, you know, tokens are kind of expensive. A lot of their, you know, laser cut stuff is awesome, but it can be on the expensive side. So how can you get rid of those and use cards or use something else? Right. Um, I ran into this recently. I've got a, a series of solo games coming out next year and they all come in the exact same sized box. 
And that was one of the most important aspects of the series is that you can line them up on the shelf. And if you look, if you're on YouTube, you can see them over my shoulder. They're out of focus, but you can see all these games lined up right there. That's the prototypes. Like, and that's how they look on the shelf and they look really, really good. But, you know, as I've been working with other designers who, you know, I'm licensing their games and, you know, not only my own to tell them here's the box. And I'll even send them a prototype version of the box and say, print out a prototype make sure it fits and it's got to fit the rule book. It's got to fit all the tokens and the dice and cards. Everything has to fit in this box. And if it doesn't, we have to either figure it out or I can't publish it. Like that's the, those are the stakes. And that means we might have to use multi-purpose cards, you know, where a, a card can do lots of different things, or maybe, you know, tokens need to be replaced, or maybe we need to use a 14 millimeter dice instead of 16. Like there's all the different aspects that go into the problem solving with, with that. And it's a lot of fun, honestly. But to your point about Kickstarter, you know, when the box can be as big as it wants, it's that fishbowl thing. Like the goldfish is going to expand or shrink depending on the fishbowl, <laughs> right, right? right? And then, but then also your shipping expands, uh-huh. right? Then also all your logistics get a little more interesting. All of a sudden, everything changes as that box gets bigger and heavier and more to deal with. And now you've got more content, which means timelines get pushed back, which means, you know, there's more risk involved. Like there's so many different things to think about versus having it all kind of figured out from the beginning and then doing a pre-order and saying, hey, here's the game. Do you want it or not? Which I find a lot of value. And that's something I'm kind of moving towards as well. So let's talk about it from, from that angle. So you're using the Game Crafter. You're doing the pre-order. Oh, another thing real quick. You're talking about losing a little bit of money on each copy. That's actually very normal in, in business, right? Where you kind of go into it with, with the idea of like, this is part of my marketing. Like Amazon did this with the Kindle. You know, they lose money on Kindle sales, but then they make money on ebook sales, right? And so they had that I, that mindset going. It's like, we're not worried about the Kindle. We're worried about the long tail. We're trying to get people into this and then we'll sell them stuff on the back end. You can't exactly do that with a game unless you had like a system and then you're going to sell expansions. Like that could definitely work. But what you're doing is building a community and then you're bringing in more customers and eventually, you know, hopefully that, that all works out, which makes a lot of sense. But let's talk about things from that pre-order standpoint is this a case where you're doing a pre-order to figure out how many to print or, or are you doing a, a pre-order and saying, Hey guys, I have a hundred copies who wants one almost that limited edition thing. Yeah. Like tell me your, yeah. Angle. So I actually did the, uh, I had, I was going <laughs> easiest way to answer this was I was getting a hundred regardless, but I didn't run it like, Oh, I only have a hundred copies. We're doing a limited amount because if for some reason I had gone over, then we would have gone over. Um, what I was seeking to do was say, Hey, okay, how many, um, you know, want this game? How many can we get for the pre-orders, which is just going to help me not have to spend as much money on the front. Right. Because now I have some income coming in and cool out of that. Like I said, we had about uh, 70 or so copies that were spoken for. So now I'm just making up the difference, which actually allowed me to print a little bit more, which I actually, uh, so I, I ended up like printing 126, right? Like out of, out of that, out of that first run, because now I could shift it a little bit. Cause I had some of that, you know, um, capital already. And so that allowed me to get a little bit more because I had those 70 copies that were spoken for through the pre-order. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect on that. Like I said, we did it through word of mouth. We did it through, you know, an email, um, 
that I was sending out, you know, and did it through some social media stuff. I uh, actually had like really good conversation with uh, Andrew Lowen, right? And I was like, hey, like, you know, how do you work Facebook ads? And he was like, honestly, not your best bet. Like you want to, you want to generate this organic community. And so like we, we had done a lot of that, you know, but really didn't know what, what we were going to expect out of it. But uh, again, we felt very blessed to be able to, to uh, have that many people say yes to the game. Um, and like you said, it's like, yeah, this is what it is right there's no stretch goals there's no add-ons there's none of that this is the game and it's kind of a take it or leave it thing and and uh, we're very blessed to see people want to jump on and, and take it and um you know from that like i said i was able to uh to purchase a little bit more than i initially thought i'd be able to and then as we started going we started realizing like hey people are interested in this game um and you know again just through some some blessing we're able to to make that second print run and now we're moving on that and so um again so much work left to do so you know this it hasn't hasn't stopped it's it's pretty much been like okay we're going to design this thing and it's been pedal to the metal ever since because now that you have copies what you don't want is them just sitting in your basement uh you want to get them out there and so now it's really trying to capitalize on those who are playing the game those who are enjoying the game um and and that word of mouth and so we're seeing you know orders come in from you know, kind of all over the United States. I really focused on the United States. I, I do have some people overseas that want it, but I told them flat out, I said, look, I'm learning. And I said, when it comes to overseas shipping and all that stuff, I'm, I'm not there yet. Um, I, and I've got to take it slow. And, and thankfully people have been really, um, accepting of that and understanding. Um, I've just been really open about my process. That's the other thing, man. I, I haven't hidden anything. Like I, I'm not sitting here like, Hey, check out this new amazing game. It's going to change your world. It's like, look, I am a first time designer and I believe that God led me to create this design. I, I was seeking to be obedient in that, made this design, started getting forward, you know, moving forward in it. And, um, and I'm learning. And people have been really kind of open, open to that and, and trying it. And it's been more than, you know, my mom isn't just saying the game's cool, you know, which is, which is fun, uh, more than my friends and family are playing it. And that's just been super encouraging and has spurred me on to continue to want to lean into this and, and learn more and do more. Yeah. So. Right. And I think that's something for a lot of designers wanting to get into the industry that aren't necessarily excited about pitching to publishers. Cause that's a whole nother thing to deal with and it it can be rewarding but also super frustrating i ran into several really annoying frustrating situations uh with small publishers and with really well-known publishers i was working on a game that was an ip based game and i got nothing but you know good feedback and hey we're gonna publish it and we're just waiting on this and waiting on that and that ran for months and eventually i just published the game myself without the ip because i was so done you know and this was a very well-known publisher, a uh, guy that's all over social media. <laughs> it's like, Hey man, can you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe don't be like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, it gets frustrating. Right. And so as a new designer, you might want to, you know, control yeah. the, the situation, right. You might want to do the art direction and, you know, you might want to be the one with the ball in your hands to use a sports metaphor where you're like, you're determining this thing and how it comes to life. And there's lots of pros and, and cons, but I, I see, I see that as a very, um, enjoyable, process, right? That's, that's kind of what I have found that I really, I don't, I mean, I don't mind working with other publishers, but I really like doing it all myself and finding freelancers and finding partners and, and things like that. And your, your system, like the way you're doing this makes a lot of sense. Start small, build it up. And it also, there's a lot of overlap in what I'm kind of looking to do going into next year. And this might even be a system that you can kind of eventually get to, because I think it could work well with what you're doing. So my plan for next year, 
like I was saying, small box games, solo games, all the, all the box, it's always the same box series kind of thing. Manufacturing in China though, but going to, I'm going to use GameFound, but um, I'm not doing pr big print runs, right? So let's say I have a thousand backers. I'm probably only going to print 1100 copies. Because one thing I've learned is that I really don't enjoy the retail process post-campaign. Fulfilling orders and dealing with all this stuff. It's like, eh, it's just not what I enjoy. I don't, I don't, I don't mind licensing the game out and somebody else wants to print a whole bunch of copies and put it in another language. <laughs> Go for it. But I really enjoy the crowdfunding process, building that community, building those backers and those relationships, getting them the game, and then let's move on to the next thing versus you know trying to sell a whole bunch of copies in retail. It's just so that's nothing. If you control the company, you can kind of control what you do, right? If you find parts of the process you don't like, well, how do you get rid of those? And so a thousand backers, I'll print 1100 copies. Uh, I'm going to ship them directly from China. So I'm not having to deal with fulfillment centers around the world. It's like well, there's one fulfillment center, they ship worldwide because the games are small and fairly light. I can do it pretty inexpensively worldwide. They handle the VAT. They handle the taxes. Like everything is just self-contained and I'm not having to deal with all this extra stuff or or hire out other people to do it, which is even more expense and more to think about. You know, I got to find the right people. Like there's so many things involved versus just doing it simply. Uh, starting the campaign off, the game is done. The art is done. Graphic design is done. No add-ons, no stretch goals. Do you want the game or not? If you do, I'll get it to you Almost like I mean, like within three months is the goal, right? Because everything's done. Manufacture, print it in China, ship it from China. So campaign to table, the goal is three months, right? And trying these new things. And I'll have to report back whether this is a good yeah. idea or not, because yeah, I don't right. know. Like it's all experimentation. <laughs> it's all figuring it out. But with the idea being, how do we how do we make yeah. this happen just in a different yeah. way? And there's there's right? brilliance in what you're saying, man. And and honestly, too, I think it's so weird because I, I don't want to dog on crowdfunding in any way, right? I don't want to appear that way at all. I'm, I'm not anti-Kickstarter. I'm not anti-game, any of that. Like, I'm all for it, man. If that's what you got time to do and you want to do it, like, do it. But what you said there, I think, is profound where you said, I'm going to get this game to your table in three months. What I've noted is a lot of frustration right now with people who have backed games two years ago that haven't seen their game yet. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? There's a ton of things. And I can't imagine being a designer in that space where people are constantly emailing you, where's our game? Where's our game? Where's our game? You know, and I get it. I'm still waiting on Kickstarters from a couple of years ago, uh, personally. Right. And, and I think that there's, there's something almost psychological when it's like, Hey, I can get this game to you in three months that people were like, Oh, that's awesome. Right. Like I'm in on that, you know, maybe they feel like they could get burned, but I think there's something to that sense of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to back this project, but I know that I'm going to get it here because everything's done. It's just the game. It's, it's finished. We're, we're moving forward on it. And, and hopefully that does, that does work for you. I really like your approach. Like it, it is very similar to what we're doing, just a little larger. Right. But we were at uh, grand con in grand Rapids, Michigan, and was part of like this publishing with the pros, um, panel. Right. And so you had uh, like Travis Chance from Simon Games, uh, Jonathan Gilmore, right? The guy who did Dinosaur Island, Dead a Winner. Um, Pete Petrusha, the RPG like gangster, right? Like this uh, dude did Dream Chaser, Rest in Pieces. Um, Andrew Parks from uh, uh, Quixotic Game or uh, yeah, Quixotic Games. Um, and Sam Healy was moderating this this panel, right? And they were talking, they spent a substantial amount of time on crowdfunding 
And what I found interesting is it almost confirmed everything that we had had kind of uncovered in the early part of this process where they were like, hey, you need an incredible amount of time. You actually need a pretty substantial uh, capital. Like John Gilmore joked, like, hey, you need uh, pretty much what you need to run a good Kickstarter campaign is like $20,000 and someone who's going to field all of your customer service questions, right? And he was joking, but there's some there's some truth in in building this campaign out. They were talking about all the expectations that the crowdfunding um market has kind of brought within itself. Like you got to have this great video. You got to have these phenomenal photos. You've got to have like all these things in place. Um, and, and a number of them, and again, I'm not telling you who, cause it's not my place to do that. We're saying that they're moving off of Kickstarter and going more into the pre-order uh, vein, right? Because they're, they're seeing that there's not really a lot of, um, it's not always worth it to them to do the Kickstarter campaign because of the amount of time, effort and energy that's going in it. Now, again, these are bigger companies. So when they go to a pre-order, it's way different than what I do, right? People are already clamoring for the game. It's, it's remarkably different. But when I was hearing them kind of talk about crowdfunding and everything that went into it, it was like, okay, I feel like this just confirms we, where we're at and what we're seeking to do and how we're seeking to accomplish it. That, um, we made the right decision to not get into that space right now. doesn't mean we won't in the future, but right now, because of all the things we had to learn, we would have been trying to learn how to design a game, how to get a game manufactured, how to get a game out there, then a Kickstarter, um, you know, all the things that go into it. And it just feels overwhelming. And I know we were talking about this a little bit before the interview here, but like a lot of times as people, we can get paralyzed. And we can look at this and be like, this is so overwhelming and there's so many things that I have to do and, and, and there's so many expectations and, and Kickstarter can be fickle and people might pull their pledge out because I, I, I'm not, you know, trending fast enough and this isn't getting fulfilled on day one and what's going on. Like, I think people can get really overwhelmed and, and in, in turn kind of get paralyzed. And for me, this process is like the anti-paralyzation, right? It's like, okay, can I take steps? What can I do today? Like, I want to do something. I'm going to take te- steps towards this goal. And yeah, my goal is not massive, but like you said, it's not little either, right? I've, the way I look at it, man, I'm like, dude, I have a hundred you know, plus games out in, in the world right now and people are playing them. Uh, that's a huge win. Uh, to me, that's like, that's already success. Like how cool. If one person purchased the game, I'd have been like, wow, this is insane. Like we have a game now on, on someone's shelf. And to me, that's just an incredible thing. Like, people's goals might be different. But how do we remove some of this paralyzation in this in this space, right? Where it's like, I think maybe board game design is the place where overthinkers go. And sometimes they go and thrive and sometimes they go and die. I don't know. I've just noticed in myself where I'm like, I'm an overthinker and board game design seems to make a lot of sense. But I have people in my world that tell me, hey, you're overthinking a little too much. And I have some fail safes in that, which is which is great. But not everyone has that. And I feel very blessed to have friends that are like, Joe, you're overthinking, you're overthinking, you're overthinking, like slow down because then I can get paralyzed in that overthinking. And, and, and I really wanted to create a process that worked for me that prevented that paralyzation and that, and that over overthinking myself to, to stagnation. And, and I want that for, for like the design community, man. Like I am blown away by some of the designs I see and some of the conversations I'm seeing. Uh, your Facebook group is, is, uh, an amazing group. The community there is phenomenal from the feedback you can get from just the conversation. I would love to see out of that 15,000 plus member group, just crazy amounts of games coming out. And how does this happen? And, and how do we, how do we get into a space where, yeah, we have a, a 
large board game market. That's, that's, I mean, okay, that's the reality. But again, how many people are in this group that are sitting there like, I can't do all these things? Like, okay, you know, Gabe, I listen to your podcast. I mean, you got Stegmeyer as episode one. That's like hitting a grand slam, you know, at the, in the bottom of the ninth in the World Series. Like, I'm not him, and I don't know what to do here, and, and I'm stuck, right? Like, I want to move forward, but I'm just overwhelmed. Like, there are other options. There are ways to, to, to move forward and take steps that um, – that you can get your game out. And I do think like we talked about earlier, it's really setting, setting your goals and what you want to do on the front end. I had a very clear objective. I knew where I was going. And so now I've got to play the game within the game to get to where I'm going. And I've been blown away because it's amazing when you actually take steps towards goals that sometimes those things happen. And, uh, and in this case it's been happening and, uh, it's been overwhelming, um, on a number, a number of fronts, but it's been so exciting um, and just being able to move forward in that. And I, I want that for people, um, you know, if that makes sense. <laughs> a part of it is knowing yourself, right? You were talking about, you've got fail safes, you have people in your life that can look at you and tell you the truth and you'll listen. Right. And, um, and you trust them and you know that they're looking out for you and things like that. That is so vital. And that's another thing that's great about a community like the BGDO Facebook community, because you have, all, you know, basically strangers that they have no stakes in your life. <laughs> right. You know, there's no reason for them yep, to yep, yep, lie yep. <laughs> to you necessarily. And so you have a bad idea that hopefully tell you. Right. But un also understanding the parts that you're good at, the parts that you're not good at, the things you enjoy, the things that you don't, you know, after running a bunch of campaigns myself, one thing I really have come to understand is that certain parts of the process always take longer than you think. And so what can you do to mitigate things? Art, for instance, I mean, I've had a game where art took eight months longer than it was supposed to. That's a long time. And to your point, you've got backers sitting there waiting like, hey, where's the thing? We're overdue on the date, you know, and with the pandemic, that got crazy as well. But there's a lot of understanding, but also a lot of <laughs> yeah, not understanding. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so you're dealing with people. And so, you know, to go into a situation or into a, a campaign and say, hey, it's done. The art's done. We're not waiting on that. That is a, a, a checked box on the list. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, now, you can't always do that. You know, I've got a game, Robomon, which the art for that game is a six figure cost. Right. There's no world where I was ever going to have enough money on the front end to be able to finish that art, let alone the game overall and all the content that goes into it. Like there are some games you just have to go to crowdfunding. You're only going to have a certain percentage done because you unless you're going to take out a crazy, you know, right, second right, mortgage right. on your house or something, yep, which I know yep. people do, but I don't necessarily, you know, suggest <laughs> that. But so it's not every project. But, you know, if you if you can mitigate things as much as possible. That way you can control some of these variables, you know, because Robomon right now, it's it's overdue. Like it's taking longer than we thought it would. Uh, the game, the scope was much bigger as it turns out. It's, it's honestly going to be one of the most content rich, heavy games ever made. I mean, it's just there's so much in it and it's just taking a long time. Now, will it be worth it? Goodness, I hope so. <laughs> right. Will the wait be worth it? I hope so. And luckily, I've got some amazing backers that are understanding and they're excited. And they they want to see the best version of the game versus just kind of rushing it, putting it all together, you know, throwing it out there early and it being half baked. Right. So you're always kind of trying to manage that. But it, there's tension there. Uh, and there's there's updates you have to put out and you're like, hey, I, I don't have the <laughs> sure. best news. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, and that's not fun as a designer. It's not <laughs> no. fun as a as a backer just things you have to deal with. But if you're on the other side, to your point, if you're controlling these things a little bit differently, then you, you don't, hopefully don't have to, to deal with that now. So pre-order versus crowdfunding, but that's also like the game crafter has its own crowdfunding 
mechanism, no, right? But you didn't correct, use that either, correct. is that right? And again, it was just because learning another okay. system, right? So again, pre-order is essentially a type of yeah. crowdfunding. It's just it's just way dialed down, right? It's literally okay. like like we said, it's like here's the game, and there's no stretch goals, there's no add-ons. Like you know, yes, I, I'm putting out content. It's basically right. what I'm talking about. I am basically Correct. going from doing a crowdfunding campaign to effectively using a crowdfunding platform as a as a pre-order, basically. And that's what a lot of these big companies are doing now as well. It's just kind of the it's almost like a store in a lot of ways. But so you were doing a pre-order. Was it like through your website? Tell me about the, kind of the the structure. Of I I do have my own website, right? And so that made it that made it a lot easier um, because I could just do everything in house, which was nice. Now I I had the website already built, set, and then I just had to learn on the back end. Okay, how do I receive these orders? Um, and then the only thing I had to really learn for through uh, Game Crafter was how to you know put in a bulk order, right? So that I could get them as my distributor, right? So that they're shipping it all out. So it's not coming to me. So I'm not paying shipping twice. You know, I, yeah. That's another thing. Right. They handle fulfillment. Super which is nice. Super nice. Yes. So you're not paying. Which, which you know, right. Which again yeah, was another reason why with what we're doing, it made sense. I'm like, I have a, I have basically a manufacturer and a distributor wrapped up into one that my, my game will go directly to those who uh, ordered it. Right. Like I don't have, yeah, I don't have to double dip in that shipping. It's just, it's happening there. Um, and that was really nice. That actually took a lot off, you know, and, and then people were actually getting, you know, their tracking numbers. Everything was handled. I didn't have to to worry about that stuff, which was which was fantastic for me, given the space that, that I was in. And so, you know, we had everything go through our website, um, which was then obviously capturing emails so that I can keep everybody updated on what's going on and just express gratitude because people were taking a chance. It's like, I don't know who this Joe Bragg guy is. I never heard of Meek Heroes Gaming. Like, all right, I don't know who this, you know, what is this? And and yet taking a chance because they were like, hey, this looks this looks pretty cool. And I'm, I'm going to back it, back it. I'm going to uh, pre-order it. And, and so, again, um, having having that control, being able to run everything in-house and having direct communication with the people that were purchasing was really valuable to me. Um, you know, now I have a plan because I've done a small, a small batch. My follow-up's a little different where I was like, Hey, I have this idea. What if, what if like in a month or so, right after the game's been out and, and has now at this point where it's like, we, we write some thank you cards and we just send it to people and say, Hey, thank you for, for, you know, supporting this endeavor. Uh, that's a lot more manageable to me at a, at a, you know, a couple hundred than it is in the, uh, you know, thousands. And, and again, it's still possible and you can do it through email, but who doesn't love a handwritten note that comes through the mail? Maybe you throw a sticker in there, right? We got a cool logo for the game. I could throw a sticker and, uh, and just say, Hey, thank you so much for uh, supporting this. You know, it means more than I can express. And to me, that's another community thing. Uh, I'm big on that, man. Like I look at it this way: you spent hard-earned money on my game. I want to, I want to give you uh, a super fun experience that you can that you can enjoy with your friends and family. And I just want you to know how much that matters to me. Um, that that when you say, "Hey, I really like your game," it doesn't fall on deaf ears. It's actually really encouraging, and and I'm approachable. And I think that's one of the things I've loved about the board game industry in general is people are approachable. Uh, like I said, I came out of music. Music is not the case. Uh, you try and talk to an artist, they're like, "Bro, I don't know you. I don't want to." talk to you blah, blah, blah. uh here i can i can email a designer and say hey can i pick your brain and they're willing generally to give you their time i don't think i've had anyone say no uh, now granted i'm not going after like huge heavy hitters i'm trying to keep it in a space that would make sense but people are willing to take to take the time and i love that and so i want to do that for those who have stepped in and, and 
uh, you know, purchased a copy or, you know, uh, of Mikiro's victory, because to me that matters. Um, it's just that customer service. Yeah. One thing that I've been, um, absolutely. One thing that I've been thinking about is along those same lines is like mailing your backers, mailing your, your customers, something, a thank you note. First of all, if you do it as a postcard, it's a little bit cheaper to mail. So you can save yourself a little bit of money. If you just do it as a postcard, you know, have a little handwritten thing right there. Um, or you could get them printed and have the message that's already printed. So maybe you're not writing this hundreds of times, but then you can sign your actual name. So they see the signatures or something like that. So it does feel more personal, you know, write in their name or something like that. But then you could also maybe have a QR code or have a promo code and be like, Hey, 10% off your next order or a promo code that, you know, links them to your project, your next project that hasn't been announced yet. You're like, Hey, I want to give you a sneak peek and like, Oh, cool. They feel special because they're seeing it before everybody else. Or you can, a QR code that goes to, uh, an, an extra scenario or some kind of bonus content or bonus print and play cards or something like that, right? Where they're receiving something, you know, for free basically. And, and you're saying, Hey, I really appreciate you. And if you use a dynamic QR code, you can even update that URL on the back end, So you're not like tied to the printed version. So you can, you can change the, the, the link basically. Like there's so many cool things you can do if you just have the, Desire, right? If you just want to put a little creativity into thinking that. Now, international gets a little bit more, more interesting. So if you're just doing it in the US and North America or wherever your country is, a little easier. But again, it makes people feel part of something bigger than themselves, right? And Asmodee is not going to do this. WizKids, not going to do this, right? These big companies that even have like the manpower and have the marketing budget, like who really could do this effectively if they really wanted to, like could do it better than you or I can, they're not going to. And so as small companies, we can separate ourselves and say, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe the quality of our miniatures, maybe we don't have miniatures at all. Like, okay, we can't compete with those heavy hitters, but we can stand out in our customer service, in our interactions with people. You know, they know us by name. Like, I don't know who runs WizKids. I don't know who's in charge of Asmodee. Like, I have no idea. It's just a nameless, faceless company versus your company, my company, where people are like, oh, it's Joe. Oh, it's Gabe. Like they're, you know, it's so funny when some, sometimes I'll receive an email. It's like, hey team. It's like, what? No, no, it's just, this is my direct email. Like there's no team. <laughs> it's just, right. it's just me doing all these things and maybe some freelancers. And that's, you can lean into that yeah. versus making it a detriment. So just some things yeah. to, to think about. Uh, all right. What else? So we've talked about why We've talked about where, as far as the game crafter, we've talked about kind of the how. What what are some of the other yeah. things people need to be aware of, pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, again, I think one of the direct cons is is finance, right? Like you have to have some level of capital. There has to be something that you're working with. And and for me, I do uh, public speaking. I go out and I speak at different camps. And I just was like, okay, any public speaking I do within this time frame is all going into the game. Right. And, you know, my wife, I have an amazing wife who's been 100 percent behind me. So she's like, let's get it. And then even even to the point where we got some tax money back and she was like, hey, why don't you take a portion of that and put it towards your game? And I'm like, what? Like, OK, that's amazing. Right. Um, you know, uh, so you're, that's kind of the con. You're going to have to have something there. And so you're going to have to be creative. It's like I, I work in a youth center and I tell kids because they all want to be, you know, I want to be a hip hop artist. Blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you got that beat money. And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, you got that studio money. No, you got that, you know, mastering money. They're like, no, I'm like, you need a nine to five to support your hobby. Cause right now it's a hobby, right? Like you, you don't have what you need. So again, um, 
making it a goal and saying, okay, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to set aside X amount of funds to be able to do these things like that. That is essential. Um, and by, you know, by God's grace, we were able to do that. We had what we needed to be able to, to get, you know, uh, some capital to be able to move on this. Um, but it was earned, right? You know, like there's some of that. So that, that is a con to the, to the pre-orders. You're going to have to have finance to some degree. It just, with a smaller run, you don't, Correct. One hundred percent. I agree. Crowdfunding, though. Yeah. Right? Like I, you, yeah. You need thousands True. of dollars to do marketing, to do preview right. videos, to do the picture. Like you're gonna have no to, matter what. You're gonna need that capital no fair. matter what process you go, unless right, unless you're right. just pitching to publishers. In that case, you don't need that much. Prototypes but you still need some because yeah. you got to make some prototypes. You got to like, if you want to have a really nice sell sheet, I would hire a yeah. graphic designer. I can't sure. do graphic design, yep. so I'd pay somebody a yep. hundred bucks to make me a sell sheet. You know, so. Yep. Money is involved no matter what. It's just right. How well, much yeah, that's exactly it. And and again, me knowing my goals, it actually helped frame that. So I knew how much I really needed to start to you know save and where I was going. But again, even even as we've been talking about like establishing these goals early, um, one of the one of the things that I think is is a major win again is is that control is this fact that like okay, I actually am making some determinations here and I don't have to go through a whole bunch of red tape and bureaucracy. I can just sit down and say, okay, this is what makes sense right here, right now. This is what we can do and we can keep moving forward and we can keep learning and keep growing. There is always something I'm finding in this industry to learn and do. There's always something. I have not hit the end where I'm like, oh, I think I've got as much information as I could possibly need. No, I am learning constantly. And so like for me, this process, that's become a real pro because I learn by doing. That's my personality. So the more I do, the more I apply. There is not a week that goes by where I don't listen to a couple of, of like your podcast, write something down and then say, how does this, how does this apply to what we're doing? Does it apply or, or where am I going? And I look at the titles and I try to find those podcasts that really speak to what, you know, we're trying to do. And, and so again, um, when we're in this process, there's the pro is there's a lot less pressure right? Like if it, it might feel opposite, but there's a lot less pressure because again, I don't have this massive market yet. And so like the expectations are almost even low. People are just excited to, to get whatever and they're, and they're taking the chance and it's been great. And that's word of mouth. But, um, the next time I release a project or the expansion, the expectations go up a little bit more, right? Like, wow, Joe delivered on this great project. The next one's gotta be good. Right. So in the beginning, one of the pros is, is that you really can learn, like there's no perfect game. There's, there's, going to be things like right now uh learning how to process feedback right like the game's out in the wild and i'm like wow like on one morning i'll wake up and get like this amazing feedback and 10 minutes later someone's like i don't understand why you did this and you know and they want to question every design decision you made so how are you going to process those things Right. How are you going to how are you going to handle that? Um, and that's been a learning thing for me, too. I'm, I'm kind of a words of affirmation guy, man. Like when you tell me, you know, like things are great, I'm all like, "Woo, let's go. And when you tell me, hey, this is my I don't understand this. I'm like, oh, and so being able to really process that and, and learn that. So, again, uh, knowing yourself, but uh, that that's there and that's a reality. The other thing is, is I think in this in this the um, situation, a pro can be that you can take a little bit more risks and trust the process. Right. Like you said, if I make a mistake, it's not as costly. Right. Like I was telling my wife, like, can you imagine trying to like learn all of this with a larger uh, print run? 
like it would be it would be a little overwhelming like trying to figure out shipping and trying to do taxes and all these other things like man there are so many things to consider cuz now we went from having no business to a game with a business and now you got to figure out all these other business aspects of it and get all this other stuff moving like could you imagine if we were on if we if, for me personally if we were on the line for those 2000 3000 4000 copies that you're trying to to move and how much goes into that i'm like wow i am so thankful that we started small because now we're able to understand shipping better. We're learning more about how to do these things. We're, we're starting to figure it out. And, and, and there isn't that pressure to like deliver this huge thing because we're starting slow and we're just generating this word of mouth and we can learn this as we go. And to me, that is a massive pro. That's me. That's Joe. That's, that's where I'm at. But I think there's so much room for other people uh, to learn in that. And then again, it's like John Maxwell said, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure it was him where it's like this idea of failing forward, right? Same kind of thing. Like I can take these risks, but I'm going to fail forward. So I'm going to learn and continue to learn. And I'm at a point where, because we are a small, a small company that is establishing things that, um, you have a little bit more room in that, right? Now, again, I don't want to, I don't want to release bunk product. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that again, I can learn differently because, um, I'm actively pursuing the space. I'm actively in it. I'm becoming, um, you know, uh, just a deeper sponge and trying to add value to the community, right? Like I want to give back to the community. That's a huge part of me even wanting to reach out because I feel like, like, Hey Gabe, can we do this podcast? Because, there's a part of me that just really wants to help other people get stuff going, man. Like, cause I, I feel very blessed to have people that have encouraged me along the way and said, Joe, you got something here. Go, go and do it. Cause you're a doer, Joe, go make it happen. And, and to me that, like I said, those are all pros, you know, I, again, cons, it's so much work, so much work, but I think that's true of whatever you're running, right? Whether you're doing a, a large run or a, a small run, there's so much work, but I think my, someone might think, oh, if I'm doing a small pre-order, it won't be as much work. It isn't on some ends, but it is on others, right? Like I, I jokingly, you know, would say a part-time, you know, game designer and, you know, self-publishing, really those are full-time hours. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, awake really early and I go to bed really late. And I work on these things because they got to get done and I want to get them done. So I still do a boat ton of work, even in the small print, um, you know, small, small batch publishing. There's so much to, to learn and do because I want to do it well, because I want to learn more, because I want, I want to, I want to continue to push myself in this so that game two, game three, game four, whatever it is that these games are substantially better because I've grown continuously as a designer. That's huge. Well, for even from a, if you look at it from a per copy standpoint, yeah. you're actually doing a whole lot more work Absolutely. than someone printing 10,000 copies, right? Because there's a certain amount of work that whether you print one yeah. or you print a million, Agreed. it's the same amount of hours, same amount of work that goes into it, art, web design, gameplay, all those things. Uh, but something I was thinking about while you're talking about as far as like the numbers are lower, you still pursue excellence. Like you said, it's not like an excuse to pursue mediocrity and say, oh, good enough is good enough. Like, no, no, we still pursue our best. But there's less stress in the pursuit. When you know you're only printing 100, there's just less stress than if you're printing 10,000 and you got to deal with other countries, other manufacturing processes, like the logistics and shit. Like there's just less stress that goes into it, which is kind of nice. Uh, another thing is, is, it's really just excellent and kind of borrowing from the video game space is the video, the um, the ability to patch. So you print 100 and you, you realize, oh, there's a typo on page five of the rule book. And well, you know, when we print the next batch of 100, that typo gets fixed, 
right? And so instead of printing 2,000 that are just sitting in a warehouse somewhere, you know, and now that's all we got. Like we're not printing another, like yeah. that's, that's all the inventory. Yeah. And that typo yeah. is going to be in every single copy <laughs> versus we're yeah. doing these small batches and you've got to fix things along the way and patch, patch the system. It's just a pro. So there's lots of things to, to think about on, on both sides. Again, it's not like, oh, this is better or worse. It's just different. What is, what is good for you? What is right for you as a person, as a designer, as an entrepreneur? Uh, to your point, to learn, you're going to fail no matter what. How, how big are the stakes? And are you able to fail forward? And starting small, you're able to make a mistake that's not going to bankrupt you, hopefully. Uh, and you're going to be able to pivot faster, do things quicker, right? And, and make changes in, in a much higher rate of speed. And so it's just something for, for people to think about. And so I think your, your way of doing this it's a very viable option for a lot of people that are, especially because the game crafter exists, uh, print and play cards exist, boardgamesmaker.com exists. Like these, these other companies that have shorter wait times, their system isn't quite as robust. The game crafter is like software is so excellent and so good where some of these other companies are a little bit lagging behind, but at the same time, their quality is excellent and their, their shipping times are faster. So it's like, you're going to sacrifice something somewhere. Just choose your sacrifice, right? Because even if you just sit on the couch, that's a sacrifice. And so you might as well Correct. get off the couch and choose yes, a better no, sacrifice is, is my mentality. So yeah. just some things to, yeah. to think about. But Joe, this has been excellent. Anything you want to leave listeners with any kind of like closing advice, you've already given them a lot of encouragement, but like anything else you just want to say to them as we close things out. Yeah. I, I mean, wow, that's, that's profound, right? Like, what do I want to end with? That is so big. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> don't no, overthink I, it, Joe. I mean, again, don't for me, it. it's just do something, <laughs> take steps, you know, don't, don't allow all the information, like all the stuff that you've got to learn to, to paralyze you. Like seriously, take these steps. If you've got a game idea, what, what you need to do is take that idea and start moving forward with it, right? Start doing what you can do. Um, I've been talking with, uh, with another designer from, uh, from the board game design lab community, right. Who, um, I met at grand con and we started talking and, and he's like, Hey, he's like, I've been stagnant on my game for like a while now. And I was like, cool, what's one thing you can do today? What's one thing you can do right now to move your game forward? And next thing I know, he's like, man, will you reread my rule book? I've moved all these card things. Hey, we actually did some cut up print and play stuff that we were now testing the game and I'm learning stuff. And it's like, all you had to do is that one thing. Take that one step and find find what method's going to work for you, right? Whether it's small batch uh, self publishing, whether it's going to be um, pitching the idea to a publisher, or whether it's going to be a full on crowdfunding campaign. Know that early, and then just stick to that plan, and then allow things to move. Um, cause even if our pre-order broke open and we had a pre-order where there was like way more copies, like we still would have been in a good space because we had, even if we continue to go through the game crafter, there's still room to do that. Right. We could, we could grow within that pre-order. So it's all sorts of things. You just got to figure out what makes sense for you, right? What is it? What is it that's going to work? What's going to fit your space? But again, do that one thing, whatever that one thing is, do it. Um, this literally was like, Hey, I have an idea. I pitched the idea to some friends. They were like, this sounds great. That weekend, I had cards made. I just threw some icons on stuff, started writing card stuff out, and my wife and I just sat and cut them. And then we even did that wrong because I'm like gluing them to cards, all sorts of stuff I learned in that process. Wow. But we were playing that game that weekend, right? Because it was like, here's an idea. Well, if I know anything about ideas, if I don't do anything with it, it's just, not, it's just there. 
let's make this idea a reality, boom. And the game was nothing like that first playthrough. However, it was that first playthrough that got us to a finished product. And so, uh, you know, if you're sitting on an idea, like just take one step, whatever that step is, whatever that is that makes sense. Like I would really say, like, if you can do one thing a day, that's amazing. But if you can do one thing a week and that's all you got time for, do that one thing a week. Right. Just take take those steps. And and again, know know what your goal is and what you want to do and pursue that. And uh, and don't be afraid of it. How does emotion stay in motion? Yeah. Right. So the question is, how can Correct. you just get into motion and doing one yeah. thing is is just enough to kind of get going? Yep. And now hopefully you're off to the races. But Joe, thank you mm. so much for me, for all this information. Yeah. It's been excellent. Uh, where can people find yeah. you, find your games sure. online? So if you go to meekheroes.com, that's where you can find all of our stuff there. Uh, on Instagram, it's just at meekheroes. Facebook, it's at meekheroes. We try to keep it super simple. If you can remember meekheroes, you can pretty much find us uh, anywhere, which is awesome. Um, so, you know, again, um, super open to dialogue with people. If you want to talk and say, hey, have I like let's chat. I love this. Uh, I've really enjoyed it and want to give back to the community. So yeah, hit us up at meekheroes at gmail.com. If you type in meekheroes somewhere on the internet, you are going to find us all over the place because we're the only meekheroes uh, in existence. So Awesome. Well, Joe, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me, man. This has been a blast and a blessing. Really appreciate you.